With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cleverly for sharing up. The battle top. And the all the way. Hello guys and welcome back to a bonus edition of The Last Word on Spurs. Now on this very special show, we are going to be looking ahead to the release of the brand new Spurs book, The Spurs Shirt, coming your way on the 1st of December and we are delighted to be joined by one of the authors behind the book. Now of course if you're listening to this show on a Tuesday, that means we are on Love Sport this evening. And of course, you can get involved in the show. We're going to be talking about Spurs' players during the international break. And we'll also be looking ahead to that massive, massive game to come against Chelsea at the weekend. We'll be on the show between the hours of 7pm to 9pm in the UK. Once again, 7pm to 9pm in the UK. And of course, if you want to get involved in the show, which we want you to do, we want you to call in, we want to hear from you, you can do that by calling us on the following number of 0208. 7020558. That's 0208 7020558. And of course, if you are calling from outside the UK, you simply need to leave a plus four four in front of that number. Now the show is live on both 558 AM and DAB Radio. That's 558 AM and DAB Radio. And of course, you can listen to the show on Love Sport Radio's website and via their app. Enjoy this show. Now mentioned in the introduction of this show. 
it's going to be a very, very special one because we are looking ahead to the brand new book being published on the 1st of December this year, The Spurs Shirt. And we are delighted to welcome onto the show one of its authors in shaky Shakescraft. Simon, how are you? I'm not, not too bad, thank you, Ricky. No problem at all. Lovely to have you here, Shaky. And joining Shaky here tonight, of course I've got alongside me, Jason McGovern, who was lucky enough to see an advanced preview of this book on Friday, Jace. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was very fortunate. I spent a couple of hours over at uh, with the publisher who's Vision Sports Publishing. And for those who, who don't know them, they're the, they're the publishers of the Glory Glory Nights and they, they also published The Lane. So, you know really good publishers for that it's an absolutely fantastic book i have to give my compliments to shaky and, and the other authors that worked on it it's uh it's just wow when you look at it and the, the the photographs inside you feel like you could you could touch the texture on the shirts that it's there's such brilliant photography in it it's uh an absolute must for christmas and, and probably the only struggle will be the gap between December the 1st and December the 25th because I'll be <laughs> trying to trying to find out where it's hidden in the in the little secret supply and, and getting a sneaky read of it that's for sure Shaker, you was very keen wasn't you for myself and Jace to see this book you know in person go and actually look at it because it does have that impact on you when you see it for the first time well that that's what I forgot myself when I first saw it I mean I knew what it was going to be like because I'd seen the PDFs and 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 the and the sheets and everything else before it went off to be printed up and and then and then when I actually took it out of the box when myself and and Darren Burney who was one of the authors um, one of the co-authors on the book who's an associate director of the club we were sat together with the publishing guys Toby and Jim and opened them at the same time and it was just I could tell with Darren's face how pleased he was with it because he couldn't stop grinning and then of course our other co-author Neville is in in Aberystwyth. So we had a little bit like, well, you can't open yours. His was delivered in the morning, but you can't open yours till three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a bit like listening to the Queen on Christmas Day. <laughs> you can't open your presents till ten past three after the Queen's finished. And so Neville was the Aberyst with, and we were coordinating a, a big reveal, and everyone was just blown away with it, to be honest. Really, mm. really pleased. Looks incredible. I mean, I've got to ask you, Shaky, if we just ask you starting then with your background within football, I mean, about your interest in football shirts and then why the Spurs shirt? Tell us what the story was behind the book. Right. Well, um, I worked in football for 15 years as a physio, um, but at the clubs I worked at initially in the 90s, Hereford United being one, Exeter City being another, I went in there and one of the jobs that they used to do in those days was do the kit as well. You know, you had your apprentices running around, they were still cleaning boots then. So they would help you pack the kit for away games and lay the kit out for home games. So, you know, you were responsible for the players' treatment of injuries and rehab and then you had to do the kit as well. So I suppose I had a little bit of a, a, a thing about the kit then anyway. And But my first ever shirt that I got, believe it or not, before I worked at Hereford United was a 1991 Tottenham Hotspur FA Cup final shirt which was given by Terry Venables to my brother over something they were doing together commercially and at the same time at the same time I also picked up a Hummel number seven Paul Stewart shirt so they were the first two player shirts I ever got and I suddenly realized from my collecting of everything as a kid you know all the way through from panini stickers and programs right up to wearing replica shirts to these player shirts they were different and there was just something about it and and so I stuck with shirts, but I um, 
obviously then when I, when I left football I went and worked in television and went from being a pretend went from being a real physio to a pretend one when I worked on dream team Sky One's Harchester United if you remember those days and um, and then I started to curate Neville Evans's collection and Neville one of the co-authors I said has this am- amazing collection of football memorabilia um, which you know and thousands of football shirts and I curated the player's side of the football shirts in his collection you got a direct memory of Tottenham as well, haven't you? That goes back to an FA Cup tie, and and I believe a less than impressed Teddy Sheringham. Yeah, yeah um, obviously, one of my highlights at Hereford. It was always a highlight when you worked for teams like Hereford, Shrewsbury, Exeter, when you played a bigger team in the cup, you know. And we all did. I mean, I was at Shrewsbury when they beat Everton in the FA Cup third round in Wayne Rooney's first ever FA Cup game. And if you remember, Nigel Jemson scored two goals and knocked them out. Um, and of course. Um, we drew Tottenham in 1996. And who's we at that stage? And we as Hereford United, because obviously yep. I'm a I'm a, a Hereford United fan. The bottom line is, but I think I'm going to become an adopted Spurs fan. Here, aren't I? <laughs> you better be after this. <laughs> yeah, and um, well, they do play in white as well, don't they? You know what I mean. Yep. So, um, but in at, uh, at Edgar Street in the third round in 1996, um, we played. It was a bit of a quagmire, Edgar Street, at the best of times, at that time of the year, January. And so we, um, if you remember the game, we drew one all. Dean Smith, who's now the manager of Aston Villa, missed the penalty for Hereford that day. I think it's, like I said to, to Jason the other day, I think the, the ball hasn't landed yet. It's still in orbit around the, UK, <laughs> around the world somewhere. But um, we drew one all, and it was, it was a terrible, you know, the Spurs players just didn't like the conditions and, and and I'm stood by the tunnel as and Teddy's walking off and he's pulling mud off the bottom of his boots as he's walking off and throwing it down and he walked past and he just said to one of the other players, I think it might have been Ronnie Rosal or something, let's get out of this place. There was a couple of expletives in there, not too <laughs> pleased. So of course what our centre half at the time, John Bruff, who'd scored the equalising goal that day, just after Dean had missed the penalty, um, said uh, it to the press after the game, you know, what was it like marking Teddy Sheringham? And he said, I've had harder games in training against Steve White, who was Hereford striker at the time. So I said, I can't believe you actually said that to, to the press, Bruffy. And, uh, of course, then Teddy obviously didn't need any motivation for the replay and he scored a hat-trick, I think, and we lost 5-1. So, um, but that occasion, going back down to White Hart Lane, that occasion for me personally was just fantastic, you know, 4,400 Hereford fans in the corner singing away and Peter Barnes had said to me, the Spurs secretary at the time, had said, oh, I think we'll get about 18,000. There was over 32,000 in the stadium, you know. Um, and it was, you don't see 32,000 crowds anywhere near Hereford, you know. Um, and so it was just, it was just for, for me, it was an amazing occasion. So I just, I, I, yeah, so I loved, loved that, that day. And, ju- and just for the, the statos out there, before we, we really get into the book, how many different... Sh- Outfield shirts that we actually had a combination of home aways and thirds. If we we take away goalkeeper shirts from it, well, it's difficult to say because the exact number changed a lot during our throughout the research for the book. You know, um, because the early years, right up to the 1960s, we were discovering different things all the time, and and we're talking about different collars and different lace-up collars and button-up collars and different you know slightly different. They're all basically the same, but they all had slight variations. So you could call them different shirts, but I really think about anything up to from the the more modern era, 
from the club's first shirt. So let's talk about 1976. So the last 40 years, the club's first third kit came in in 1977. That was the plain royal blue that was worn at Leeds. Plain royal blue. Didn't even have a cockerel on it. You know, the shirt. Yeah. Um, at royal blue shorts and socks. So the kit was completely royal blue. And that was the first club's first ever third kit away at Leeds in 1977. So from then onwards... There's been plenty of changes, but we've had over 50 variations since two since they introduced three kits a season in about 2003. Two kit, there's been virtually 50 different variations, and that doesn't include the the, the different sponsors: Autonomy, Investec, Arisma, AIA. When they had cup sponsors on shirts. You know, in in that mad period there, you know, with with different sponsors for for the cup games, European games, etc. So there's been over fifty um, since they've had three a season, and it's and that doesn't include, like I say, the different variations. But yeah. since, up until 2002, from 1977, we had 40. You know, so so there's somewhere nearly just shy of a hundred different variations. Getting on for a hundred, yeah. Yeah. Go on, you shaky. So just. We're letting it back to the book. How many? I'll ask you a couple of questions actually. See if you can unwrap this into one for me. How many photographed? Well, how many shirts have you got within the book, photography-wise? Whose shirts are some of them? And how many of those players did you actually talk about within the book? Okay, so there are over two hundred different variations of shirt. Um, the worn by a, over one hundred and ten different players. Wow. So. All the shirts in the book are player shirts, so they're prepared for players to be worn, or they're worn by players. And some of them have still even had mud on them, you know. Um, and some of them do pong a little bit because they haven't been laundered. But that's a fetish for other people to talk about another day. <laughs> uh, the but you know we've gone we've got, got the full spectrum, and what we tried to do because we could have made the 1980s about you know mostly Glen Hoddle shirts because mm. there are a number of Glen Hoddle shirts that aren't in the book. But when you have a choice between the 1981 Glen Hoddle FA Cup final replay shirt or Ricky Veer shirt, you know we're going to put Ricky Veer shirt in the book, aren't we? Of course. You know, because that's that's that that is one of the pinnacle of Tottenham shirts. You know the 1981 FA Cup final Ricky Veers. I don't think it gets much better than that. When you within the book, we've got the Klinsman dive shirt in from '94. So we've got them from Danny Blanchflower in 1961 FA Cup final shirt. We've even got a '63 Cup Winners Cup final shirt. Right the way through, to, from Alan Gilzine to Jimmy Greaves, Glenn Hoddle, Steve Perryman, Gary Mabbott, keep going right up to currently we've got Harry Kane and Deli Alleys and Ericsson's in there. But then we've also got like you know a Jim Bonder shirt in the book from when he wore the highest numbered shirt that a Spurs player has ever worn in a game in number ninety-seven in Europe, and we've got Massimo Luongo's shirt fellow that came on against Stoke in the League Cup and yep. only appearance for the club and missed the penalty and the penalty shoots out. We've actually got that shirt from the gap that game. Face that reminder, Shaky. Sorry? Face that reminder. The missed penalty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he never played for the club again, so I don't know what somebody was telling him, but um, a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, there's, we've even got 22 different cup final shirts in the book, wow. you know. So we've got two from 1961 and we've got 62. We've got 67 all the way through. We've got from the FA Cup final in 81, we've got the two number fives. We've got Steve Perriman's from the first game, 
when which is a extremely rare shirt because only three are known to survive. But we'll talk about Johnny Wallace, I'm sure, later on and what he was like. So we know what happened there. And then we've got Ricky Veers. And then, you know, through various cup finals, 87, the famous 80, 87 cup final, the infamous 87 wardrobe malfunction. And we've got Richard Goss and we've got a Clive Allen. And so there's different variations, but there's 22 cup final shirts. Over 110 different players have worn the shirts in the book and wow. over 200 variations in total. Throw us a name, Shaggy. What players did you talk about in the book? Throw us some names quickly. Well, like I said, Danny Blanchflower, yep. Gilly, Glenn Oddle, Steve Perryman, Gary Mabbott, Jermaine Defoe, Robbie Keane, right through to Delhi Alley. It's and... really covering a, a, a range of the history of Tottenham, isn't it, really? Just from, like I say, from the present day and even going going so far back, it's fantastic, the, the range it covers. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if we've got a complete timeline of home shirts mm. from 1961, from the 1961 Cup Final to now, we've got every single variation of home shirt in the book. Wow. And we've every single variation of away shirt, which were a lot harder to find from the 60s. Well, we didn't find them. From, so from 1971 right up until until now, we've got variations of all the away shirts, with the exception of the blue third shirt that I mentioned earlier. Because yep. no one, ever, don't think we'll ever find one of those. Mm, incredible. I mean, the, the book, guys, I've got to say to you, I mean, you know, it's talking about it with Shaggy here. You've got to go buy it. When it obviously does come out, 1st of December, you've got to, you know, Go to you know, the Spurs website, merchandise store, retail store. You've got to go there and order this book. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I'll ask you both now this question. I'll start with you, Jace. In your opinion, what makes a good Spurs shirt? For me, it's it's got to be mostly white. I mean, the, the current thing with all the blue on the bottom and in recent years with blue on the shoulders and a seatbelt look and things like that. I mean, you know, the seatbelt shirt I, I could tolerate, but, but for me, the... The, the closer it is to plain lily white. I, qu- I quite like last year's Nike shirt because it had just a tiny, tiny little bit of blue trimmed in it down the side. And all right, we, we know none of us are keen on having a red sponsor, but the actual basic design of a shirt for me was, was pretty close to it last year to get that, that lily white, you know, look as, as much as we possibly can. I mean, the other thing, not so much with a shirt, for me, a Spurs kit always looks better with white socks than with a navy blue socks as well. Yeah, and Shaky, over to you. What do you think, in your opinion, for that one? I agree with Jason, to be fair. Um, pl- I've, ri- I've written it down a number of times. Plain, crisp, lily white. You know, clean. Cl- looks just looks classy, doesn't it? You know, maybe it has a navy trim, as, as Jay said, like last season. I liked last season's kit. You know, I, I didn't buy into necessarily the, sh- the reasons for the shield around the crest. But I, but I just thought the shirt looked, looked nice. Um, and then this year, for me, the, what what makes what I don't like about it is there shouldn't be solid blue sleeves and sashes and panels and too much navy spoils it. It's purely a lily white shirt. And you go back to the Steve Perrimans and and those players and the Gillies when he was with us, God bless him, and all those players prior to that. It was all about the lily white shirt. You know that's why they you know it, that's why they talk about it being lily white. You know. Following that that game against Aston Villa, shaky, where we wore the the light blue and white, you know, Blackburn type appearance shirt, lots of fans will think that was our first ever replica shirt because of the the eighteen eighty two. But we had a shirt even before that, didn't we? Yeah, um, obviously the we talk about it in the book. Actually, that 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 
uh, blue and white half shirt that was worn in the one two five anniversary game against Villa was actually I believe to always been first worn in eighteen eighty five, and obviously then we researched it and now there's a there's a theory that there's evidence to show that it was actually first worn in eighteen eighty four because Blackburn, who it's attributed to, as a you know, and it's written down that the the players, the Spurs players at the time, said they they liked their football play and they wanted to to copy them or emulate them, so they wore the same kit. But, but Blackburn won the cup in eighteen eighty four and in eighteen eighty five, both times playing Queen Queen's Park from Scotland. So there's always been this debate about when they when they cancelled their game to go to the cup final and watch Blackburn play, and we found out with evidence that it was actually 1884 that they first wore this kit. But then, of course, there was two different types of crests on the shirt. One was a cross pate, which is what most people call a Maltese cross, but it strictly isn't a Maltese cross, but that's an emblem on the shirt. And then, of course, there was a H on the shirt as well. But prior to that kit in 1884, there was the first recorded kit, 1883-84, because there was nothing recorded in 82-83. Um was a, a pure navy shirt with white breeches or knickers and um, dark socks. So, but the but there were two variations of that shirt as well. There was one that's recorded as having a, a shield, a scarlet shield with a letter H in it. And then there were other ones that were attributed to being called fishermen's, like fishermen's jumpers that had rather large HFCs across the front in letters. And of course, at the time, the club was still called Hotspur Football Club. So the name changed in 1884, and hence why we believe that they went and adopted those colours of Blackburn Rovers. And we had we had a period in those early years of seven or eight years when when navy blue and white wasn't even in existence on the shirt as well, didn't we? And five That's of true, those yeah. with the uh, five of those with the uh, the colour we can't ever now mention. Well, that, well, that, that's true. I mean, it, it's it's bizarre because. Be, there was before white was adopted in 1888 sorry 1898 there were seven different variations at least seven different variations of shirt worn um, and we talked about those the, the first three there with the two blue variations and then the, the blue and white halves but then there was there was a, there was a couple of seasons where there's no record of what the club wore and then there was a blue and white striped shirt for one season we know of and then of course from 1888 1890 to 1895 the club wore red now you've got to remember that red white and blue are the most prominent colours that football teams wear so they're easily available and the club earned, actually in the in the press at the time earned the nickname of the Tottenham Reds believe it or not so um, but then they changed all that and went for the chocolate and brown striped kit <laughs> and, then, and then adopted the famous colours White shirts, navy shorts, in um, eighteen ninety-eight. So you mentioned there about that, Shaky. So when did the famous Lily White, the first feature, become available? And why did White become the club's home shirt? What was the reason behind that? Do you know the intricate reasons behind that? Yeah. Well, first of all, we discovered that there's no, no anywhere. There's no evidence to show, say that it's actually a tribute to Preston North End. <laughs> and which 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 is one of those myths that we've kind of busted in the in the book and um, there are a couple of others as well which I'm sure we're going to come on to but the Preston North End thing seems to have been attributed to 
um, the adoption of white and navy as the club colours because at the time the club had gone professional, they were a limited company, they had to buy the players' kit prior to them turning professional. They didn't have to buy players' kit, so they went, "What's the what? Which clubs? What's the colour that isn't registered in the league?" And they went, "Oh well, actually, the colour that isn't registered. There's nobody wearing white shirts in the in the Southern League at the time." So they went, "Okay, well, what we'll do is we'll we'll wear we'll wear white. We'll register white and navy as our colours, and then those were adopted." Um, but the problem was, in the press, it was reported that Tottenham Hotspur were adopting the famous colours of Preston North End. It didn't say they were adopting them because of Preston North End. They just clarified it that people would recognise, oh, Snow White and Navy, is what it was called, is just like what Preston North End wear. But they never said, as a tribute to Preston North End. And over time, it's become a tribute to Preston North End. Now, Shaker, we also know that the first white shirt didn't include the club badge. So can you tell us, when did the first crest appear on the white shirt? Well, obviously Spurs were unusual in, the, in, in 1883 by having a, a, a crest on the shirt. Anyway, that's quite unusual for the time. Um, and even the 1901 Cup Final shirt didn't have a crest on it. So the first one that ever appeared was for the 1921 FA Cup Final, when the cockerel appeared on the shirt. But even then, the, the, the weather was so bad that... Um, that some of the players played in the second half, or majority of the players changed into plain shirts, because they, you know, they, they were obviously sodden the shirts they were wearing in the first half. But so did Wolverhampton Wanderers, the opponents at the time. They changed um, their kit. The sad thing is, there's no record of a Spurs shirt surviving from that game, and yet there are two known to be at least two examples of a Wolverhampton Wanderers shirt from that game which is quite tragic, really, that the winners didn't... There's no shirts in yeah. existence that we know of. Yeah, and, and with entry, as as we go go through the years, there's obviously not a lot of changes between the, the 20s right the way through to the, the 50s and such, but... There, with, wasn't, with there you... wasn't so much with the um, with the home shirts. No. Right, I mean, the club did try did trial cashmere-type sweaters, shirts, <laughs> in, 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 in the early 30s. Um, wow. With, which was quite quite a posh thing to do, really. Um, so they did try all that. So they were slightly an off-white shirt, if you could imagine. But imagine a cashmere one in the, at the start of August. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> well, they, they ended up... Um, the, the, the main variation at the time, throughout, especially throughout the 20s and 30s, was the changes of colours for away kits, or what they used to call alternative change kits. Because they didn't they used to call them alternative or change kits, and then if you had a change kit, then and then a third kit, which we'd call it today, it's actually called an alternative change kit. So, because the cut rules stipulated that if there was a clash, both teams changed. Sometimes Spurs would just wear for one or two games, you know, um, a one-off kit: sky blue, stripes, hoops, and sometimes they even wore red in 1937, you know, in a couple of games. So. You know, those are the, that's where there's a there's a lot of different changes, but one-offs again. But then you come through um, to the end of the 60s, sorry, the end of the 50s, and we're into the, the period where we've now started, <clears throat> excuse me, to pick up the baton and take the shirts, you know, find examples of the actual shirts. And of course, with European competition, we started to wear the, the famous all-white, which is a, a tradition that, that's carried on now, and 
and that's always been attributed to to the team being inspired to look like Real Madrid. Is that a true story? Actually, it's not. No, there, again, there's absolutely no evidence anywhere to say that Bill Nick sent the team out in an all white because of Real Madrid as a tribute to Real Madrid. There seems to be this thing attributing the colour changes in the past to certain teams. You know, Blackburn was true. Preston wasn't. There was the change to red, as we've spoken about before in the 1890s. And Holland wrote about it in in, um, in in the late 50s about, you know, we don't know who that was attributed to. It didn't have to be attributed to anyone. You know, teams changed because of, you know, because they could afford to. Or, they you know, they, could, they needed to find something that was simple and, and cheaper as it was at the time. But then in the 1960s, they would go out in, in Europe and wear all-white kit and suddenly everything starts on the rumour started later on because Spurs first wore an all white kit in 1956 under floodlights and so and you know Real Madrid had won one European Cup by then you know mm-hmm. so um, but Bill Nick was even assistant he wasn't even the manager then he was assistant manager then so but what the one thing that I discovered about or we discovered when we were researching the book about Bill Nick was he was always looking for to gain an advantage, as they would call it now. That one percent. What can I do with and that? That was even down to kit. What can I do that will will help the players? You know, um, and we'll talk about a couple of things that he does later on. But he was always thinking about those things. You know, and so what he did was he realised that all the European games were going to be played um, midweek late afternoons, evenings at White Hart Lane, under lights, the lights weren't as great then. So what can make the players stand out to help visibility? And I spoke to the Phil Beals of the world, Alan Gilzine and Martin Chivers and Ricky George. Ricky George was an apprentice at, at Spurs from 1961 and then he became a young professional at the club and left in 64. But So I spoke to all them about the kit and they all said, no, to us, it was the, the Real Madrid thing was never, ever mentioned. Never mentioned. And when you played in all white, though, you felt special. You felt 10 foot tall. You know, you felt invincible. That was Those are the words that these players were telling me, that they loved playing in all white. They absolutely loved it. But it was all, as far as they was concerned, and Ricky George said it, definitely said it outright, no, it was always for visibility. Because at the time as well, Bill Nick was trialing things like a gold kit, an all gold kit to wear in, 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 in midweek games, you know, and a lot of it was made up of this reflective rayon material, which is like a, a man-made silk. And and he was trialing all these th- all these different things with the kit just to help players with visibility and, and, and experimenting with materials to see how comfortable they could be. And and that was the one thing that they all came back with. He was always trying to push the boundaries. Even with the kit, the white kit was definitely for visibility. Okay. If only Fer- if only Fergie had tried that down at Southampton when Man United <laughs> what, conceded six in a game or That's something right. like that, That's right. made them change at half time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Shaky fans nowadays buy most of the short sleeve shirts. We li- you know we seem to think. Um, but when did the players didn't wear short sleeve shirts? So, I mean, in the in the actual book itself, it actually shows how the first short sleeve shirt was tailored. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, 
shirt designs at the time, particularly after England had got some seven one in Hungary in 1954, I think it was, because they lost at home didn't they in 53, and then 54 they got tonked seven one, and the and the Hungarians are famously wearing these V-neck shirts, short sleeve, lightweight, lightweight boots, everything, and England looked rather dated in their you know their long sleeve button up shirts and stuff and. So I'm surprised. Went, so I'm surprised they didn't have a tie on as well in those days. <laughs> I think that, I think the referee had a blazer on though. And, uh, <laughs> but, they, but they they um, then manufacturers started to realise, particularly the likes of Bookter and Umbro, they introduced then in the mid '50s started to introduce short sleeve shirts, the V-necks, copying you know the continental style shirts, um, and then so Spurs wore short sleeve shirts. Um, at various stages up until the early and then of course the double winning side famously had a you know a, a short sleeve shirt playing li- lily white just the just the crest and um, v-neck completely playing short sleeve then the reverse that the away kit was again short sleeve navy blue which is bill nick's favorite color by the way as away kits his, his favorite away kit color was navy and then, and I had a white trim on it, but they were just classy looking kits, very, very dang played, but classy looking kits. So they were short sleeve. Then in, then it went in cycles again. So 1963, 62, they introduced long sleeve crew neck shirts came back into fashion. And then by the middle of the seventies, short sleeve shirts were coming back into fashion, you know, after the advent of air tech shirts, the lightweight material shirts that were worn in the early seventies, then suddenly, you know, and it wasn't until 1974-75 that the players at Tottenham had a choice. Do you want a long sleeve or a short sleeve shirt? They always went in in in, in cycles. Long short sleeves, long sleeves, short sleeves. Now you've got a choice. And um, but in the book, you see the, the the thing that they did. Bill Nick again. This is Bill Nick thinking. He used to watch people like Terry Naylor and Steve Perriman regularly rolling their sleeves up. Steve Perriman didn't like wearing long sleeve shirts, but that's all they had. So he went away and he got the the laundry people to to tailor the shirts, which meant they got a long sleeve shirt, cut off the sleeve, <laughs> right, took off the cuff off the sleeve, stitched the cuff back onto the short sleeve of the shirt, and out they went wearing short sleeve shirts. And that's the first ever short sleeve shirt of the seventies was a tailored shirt made from a long sleeve shirt. Wow. It's actually it's actually fantastic when you you see it in the book. If if you can imagine the the old fashioned cuffs. So I mean, when you see a, a, a short sleeve shirt now, you, that that little band at the bottom of it's about a centimeter. But but obviously being a a proper cuff on a normal football shirt, it's about four. It's a couple of inches long. That shirt. It's it's an amazing look in that book. That that shirt. That's for sure. But it doesn't it doesn't look great, does it? When you look at it now, because we know no. what it is, and we but we don't want to tell the the, the seamstresses that did it for the club that it don't look great now because they probably slap us around the face but um, put a lot of hard work into that but of course there was the Airtex shirts that they were used in 72 um, the, the lightweight perforated shirts that England made famous in 1970 you know wearing them at the World Cup and these were short they were all short sleeves but a lot of clubs still had long sleeve Airtex shirts which was a bit bizarre but they were the first short sleeve shirts the team wore but then as Steve Perriman told me, you know, you've got an issue with they didn't keep their shape very well once they were laundered. So that 
Bill Nick's looking at it and thinking, okay, well, I don't want my Spurs players going out looking like that. I don't want them looking shoddy in a kit. And, and Sylvie Webb was the laundry lady and she wouldn't have them going out looking in anything else but pristine. And Johnny Wallace, the kit man, who most definitely wouldn't have them going out in anything less than pristine. Now, to start for me, the, the modern design of, of shirt was, was when we switched from the traditional plain all lily white in 1977 into what's my favourite ever shirt, that, that first Admiral shirt. And then, of course, we went from Admiral into the Coxball Teeth. Was this the time when the club started to realise the commercial value of shirts? Um, I'm not so sure it was necessarily the club, but but Admiral, the, the company Admiral, were obviously a big deal in the in the 70s. They changed the completely changed the replica kit market landscape. In fact, they probably introduced a replica kit market that that was just bubbling along with you know re- replica kits made by Ambrose. Fantastic, weren't they? Some of the yeah, kits they did for and, Palace and, and Wales and Coventry and all of that, Leeds, absolutely. brilliant shirts. And, and I mean, even, you know, the England 1982-83 kit, that you know, the 80, World Cup 82 kit is still classified yeah. by many as one of, as the best England kit of all time. Yeah. Um, and then you either, But it's a Marmite kit. For, for a lot of traditionists, they don't like it at all. And But... but People our age, Jace, they appreciate the Admiral era a lot because yeah. we were growing up wearing these kits. You know, um, it was even West Ham had a good one. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was acceptable. It was semi acceptable to you know. I, I was running around in my as a Welshman. I was running around in my Wales tramlines kit, but I knew my but one of my best mates had a Wales tramlines kit, and he and he was English, and and I, I never said anything to him. Wouldn't happen today, would it? You know, but um, but. In those days, and, and other people used to buy the different kits because they liked them. Like you say, somebody would wear a West Ham kit and somebody would wear, you know, a Coventry City kit. And, and you're thinking, why, why has somebody got a Coventry City kit? And I just like the kit. You know, it wasn't because I'm a Coventry City fan. I'm never going to yeah. be a Coventry City fan, but people wore that tramline kit because they liked the kit, you know. Even people bought Leeds kits back in the day. So. They were so different from what from the era that had just gone before. That's That's the thing. It was a real explosion of kits, wasn't it? Yeah, and and it, it certainly was. It was it was also the addition of colours and and the changes that they introduced to the style of kit. You know, yeah. They 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 but they've added two and they added one and two different colours to a kit. Like was like you say, it was the first time that Spurs had a navy trim attached to the kit. But that navy trim just wasn't a navy trim. It had Admiral logos all the way down the sleeves. And you know, this is just coming just after the foot club had first seen. During the Admiral explosion, when they were still with Umbro, the first logo that ever appeared on a Spurs shirt was an Umbro double diamond in 1975 on a, an outfield player shirt. But but prior to that, you know, Admiral were really pushing the boundaries with everybody. 74 with Leeds and, and then all the way through with the Manchester United and the Coventries that they covered. But Spurs were still stuck with their, you know, at the time, people would consider it, that's quite stayed now, that plain lily white. And all they had on there, apart from the cocker, was the addition of the Umbro Double Diamond. Then in 1977, they wanted Spurs on board. So they got Spurs at a weak time for the club. They'd just been relegated. So they went to the club and said, we'd love to take you on. So Keith Birkinshaw negotiated the whole deal. And in the book, we talk about the offer of £7,000 a year or royalty, 10% royalties, whichever was the greater. It actually went up to £7,500 because they chose that classic yellow away kit with the braces that came over the shoulders. Mm. And um, and now you think that was 40 years ago 
£7,500 a year to wear an Admiral kit, come forward 40 years, and the club's being paid £30 million plus by Nike. That's how much it's exploded. Changed, so, isn't it? the club weren't necessarily so much aware, but Keith Birkinshaw could see the potential in it because it was putting money in the club's coffers, which helped him. And then the Coxwell Teeth deal came along and things really started to take gather pace. I mean, that, that Admiral one's my favourite. What's, what's your favourite, Rick? My favourite? So if I'm going to be honest with you, if I'm looking at all shirts, I want to take home and away into consideration. I'm going to say the 4-0 win against Fulham away in the Cup. Who can forget this? The key Berbatov partnership, the brown kit. For me, I still think a standout. I absolutely adored that kit. And that is still my favourite to this day. Cool, there wouldn't be many would pick the brown. But I think no, it's, it's Marmite, Jase. It's Marmite. I think <laughs> yeah. you love or you hate it. For me, I loved it. And Shaky? What, what's my your favourite one when you did them? Well, when I did the book, of course, I had the privilege of speaking to Bert Patrick of Admiral and, and Bob Roberts of, of Hummel. But I spoke to um, Robbie Brightwell of Le Coq Sportif. He was the guy that ran Le Coq Sportif in the UK. In between 1980, sorry, 1977, 1985, and so I loved the Coxwell kits at the time. But talking to, to Robbie and the insight he gave me just made me like them even more. If you know what I mean? And so for me, the favourites have got to be the three kits that were worn in 1982-83, the centenary season, and obviously one kit in that in that is very very well, extremely rare because it was only ever worn in one game. And nobody never releases a replica, so a lot of people didn't even know it existed, did they? Um, um, and without giving too much away, after that became Holston became the, the the first shirt sponsor we had, and and how was it that Holston became that sponsor? It all revolved around a one particular fixture, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, I always remember I spoke to Mike Rollo, who at the time had been brought into the club as promotions manager and his job was to try and get sponsors on board and the club were quite a long way down the line to negotiate a deal with TSB, uh, the old trusty savings bank and they had they had a, a mock-up shirt done and everything with the sponsor's logo on it and then one day Mike went for a, a beer after work in the White Hart pub and, he, and they served him a bottle and it was a Holston and he said, Holston, oh, okay, so he looked at the bottle and on the side it said, um, it gave a UK address for Holston, UK. And he went, all oh, right. So in those days, of course, there was no internet. So he had to write down the details and then go back to work the next day and bring director inquiries to get the number. <laughs> so director inquiries, goodness me. And so he <laughs> called them up and he said, look, we've got this, you know, you're a German beer brand. We, we're playing Bayern Munich in the, in the, um, would have been the uh, Cup Winners' Cup, I think that was, yeah. No, it wasn't. It was the UEFA Cup, wasn't it? Oh, UEFA, that's right. UEFA yeah, Cup, yeah, UEFA Cup, yeah. yeah, it was the UEFA Cup. And so he said, they said, would you be... So he went down and met with, with the, um, the the managing director or the chairman of uh, of uh, Holston UK. And they agreed to sponsor the game. And while they were talking, he said, well, what about sponsoring the shirts? And he said, well, listen, it was me and you having a meeting now. I can't make that decision until the board meeting. And he said, well, we're to live on the television two days after your board meeting. He said, so it won't give me enough time to put them on. If you decide, it won't be enough time to put Holston on. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Alan Bridget was the gentleman's name. And he said, 
put the sponsorship on there and I'll sponsor the Manchester United game live on the telly. And then when I go to the board meeting two days before, I'll get an agreement to sponsor the, the club for the rest of the season. And, and that's people what it came about. So they sponsored one game that was on the telly and immediately he came out of his board meeting and he rang Mike Rollo and said, the deal's done, we'll go for the rest of the season. So if you remember that season, at yep. the time, the logos, for television reasons, if it was a televised game, had to be small. That's right. And then you had larger sponsors' logos for non-televised games. So, of course, the first few Spurs shirts, all the way through till March at least, had small sponsors on them. Because that's what they did initially. They just, just made them all small sponsors. And then it wasn't until later in the season that they embroidered, and the shirts were embroidered with the logos in those days, large Holstons. And that was done at a local company in Kilburn, Kilburn Sports, John Metzler's company. Shaky, just coming back round to you. Now, I want to ask you, one of the most popular shirts is the first Hummel shirt with the Hummel chevrons. But that shirt itself, that had some subtle variations that many mums led to being castigated. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually somebody quoted that on Twitter a few weeks ago about I put up the comparison between, and I know where Jace has gone with this, it's about the colour um, variation on that shirt. We're talking about the 1985-87 home Hummel kit, um, which again, traditionists didn't like at all. You know, you've polluted the lily white shirt. You you put chevron, a band of chevrons across the chest. You put these diagonal um, pinstripes down the down in the top half of the shirt. You've got chevrons down the sleeves, although they weren't necessarily um, they weren't they were in different colours. And what happened was the initial shirts. It was a bit of a dog's dinner, to be fair, that first kit, but people don't realise it. The first kit, pre-season 1985, they were a bit of a rush job. So the, the logos were embroidered on. The numbers were the old Lecoq Sportif numbers with the logos at the bottom covered over, stitched onto the back of the shirt. Come the opening day of the season, now the shirts have got sublimated, which is printed in sponsors' logos. Um, so it all matched up. Sometimes they had embroidered crests. Sometimes they had... Um, embroidered Hummel. Sometimes they were sublimated, but the subtle difference was some were in navy blue trim, some were in lilac trim. And that's where all those guys that got lilac coloured um, replica shirts went home, mum laundered them, and they'd come back out and go, mum, why is my, my shirt now a lilac colour? It should be navy. And so this, all these years later, we've realised there were two colour variations on the shirt. So those mums need to be apologised to, gents, now. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, in one particular game, guys, they played, Spurs played Everton in 85-86. They played them up three or four times, I think. But in one game, a midweek game, in the snow and a really cold weather, there were four, at least four versions of the shirt worn by all the different players in the team. The, the 11 players in the team, there were four different versions worn in that one game, which included embroidered logos, Sorry, embroidered crest, the two different colour variations. Um, they had uh, small sponsored logos, large sponsors' logos. Because in 1985-86, of course, the rules changed completely. But for the first half of the season, there was no television, no football on the television, was there? So no. because of the because of the blackout with the row with ITV and BBC. So. And I think I think that was was wasn't that that would have been a Screen Sports Super Cup tie when we was probably wasn't that when we were all banned from Europe as well thanks to uh, thanks yeah. to the behaviour of, of the Liverpool fans. That's right. Yeah, it was. Um, 
yeah, definitely. And and when the, of course, so clubs were still producing small sponsors logos because they didn't know the rule was going to change until football went back on the telly. So you had large sponsors logos, small sponsors <laughs> logos, and because there was no television, you know, a lot of the time, occasionally a small sponsor logo would get mixed up with the other set, and that's what they did. But that one particular game was just absolute madness. It was like I said, four different variations of of kit worn, of shirt worn, even. And for for those fans that, that still like that Hummel kit, because you're right, there's there's a hell of a lot out there, despite the fact it it broke the the Lily White tradition. There's there's a, a website Spirit of the Lane. It's a, it's a great Facebook and Instagram group. But if you like the Hummel merchandise, go and have a look at Spirit of the Lane. Check them out, and you get some some fantastic merchandise available through them for that era. But and of course, you know, if four different shirts in a game or four different variations is astonishingly new Spursy. And another Spursy story is, of course, the the infamous cup final against Coventry where, where some players are going on the pitch with Holston and some players didn't have any sponsors logo on it. Yeah, yeah, 1987, the famous or the infamous wardrobe malfunction. We've gone, gone into a lot of depth, actually. It's got its own little feature, as you know, Jason, in the book, 1987 cup final. You know, I spoke to a number of the players who were in the dressing room that day from, you know, Richard Goff and Gary Stevens and players like that that told me about the situation. And and the bottom line is, none of them noticed, so they went out on the pitch. And Gary Mabbitt said the only time he noticed was when Chris Hewton pointed it out to him after they'd taken the tracksuits off. And then it was not mentioned at half-time, and it was not mentioned at full-time because of the result. So nobody really cared about the the shirts at the time. And, and another funny story was that that I found out recently, and Brian Moore mentions it um, in his in his book, the commentator from ITV. He's driving home one night, and he's got so, a friend with him, and the friend's got their son with him. And the son says to Brian Moore, "When did why did some of the Spurs players have sponsors on their shirts and some didn't?" Brian Moore said, oh, "I don't know really." He gets home, realizing that he had not noticed it throughout commentating on 120 minutes of the game. Did not notice that the Spurs players, some did and some didn't. He rings John Motson, of the, who was commentating for the BBC that day, and says, when did you notice the Spurs players did not have sponsors' logos on their shirts? And he went, I didn't. So even the commentators didn't even notice. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, was a, it was a bizarre one. The whole story behind it um, is in the book. But there was a, you know, a genuine, it was a genuine error. But sadly, the... The club secretary at the time, Peter Day, lost his job off the back of it. And the famous Jolly Wallace um, was relegated to, or what he would consider relegated to, youth team, reserve team, kit man. Shame. I've got to ask you, Shaky, turn our attention towards goalkeepers. Now, we've seen this particular section of kits explode, haven't we? You know, you look at the designs with, you know, oh, back in the day of Ian Walker and Eric Torstead, you look back at those, and they were the beneficiaries of some truly horrendous shirts and what looked like kind of thick padded blankets at times. Does the book include just the outfield shirts, or are goalkeeper shirts also featured within the book? Goalkeeper shirts are included within the book. Wow. The, the, to be okay. fair with you, Ricky, you could mm. you could have done a book just on goalkeeper shirts, <laughs> and I'm sure somebody's going to oh, be mad Oh, we've had some interesting ones, that. haven't we, Shaky? We've had some interesting ones. Uh, well, I mean, you know, what happened until... Up until 1985, Spurs' default goalkeeper's kit colour was obviously green. There had been a couple of 
Blues, for instance, Pat Jennings wore blue in the 1973 League Cup final, and there'd been a, 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 there'd been an amber one worn in in Europe, and and so there were diff, there'd been an occasion, and even Ray Clements had worn red, believe it or not, in three games in the early 80s, and that gets a mention in the book because we've got to remember, right, goalkeepers' kits up until 1985, they only had the choice of four colours; they could only wear white, blue, red, or, or green. Well, of course, they couldn't wear white as a Spurs goalkeeper. Um, red was a little bit of a no-no, and then, but if you played against, you know, certain teams, they they would pull out the red, and it got pulled out three times in 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 games under the Coxsportif era. But then the Hummel came, Hummel came along in 1985. The rules were relaxed, and you could now suddenly go a little bit mad. And in one <laughs> season, 85-86, Ray Clements and Tony Parks wore seven different variations of goalkeeper wow, shirts. that's incredible. Oh. That's incredible. That is mad. And then, and, oh. and there was also, including there, were three they didn't wear. <laughs> so for the first three years of the Hummel contract, of uh, uh, goalkeeper shirts, there were ten different variations produced. And obviously there was three that early doors that weren't used, including another red one. So, and now there's no need to produce a red goalkeeper shirt for Spurs because of the, the colours. But then you get into the 90s, and, and I think there was still a fallout from the Summer of Love in 1988, wasn't there, with the designers <laughs> were, all, were all in Ibiza, weren't they, in 1988? And they all came back and thought, well, I'm still a bit yeah, chemically relaxed here. I'll go a bit mad on a goalkeeper shirt. Because there wasn't just Spurs, was it? It was everyone. God, everyone was larger on the players in, in, the, in the 90s, wasn't it? They all yep. XL fits all, you know. And, um, <laughs> XL fits and, all. and you look at Rule Fox wearing a kit, and you know, players like that, they would just absolutely dwarf them. And... And the goalkeepers were particularly targeted as let's just get Larry, you know, and, <laughs> and 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 like I said the other day, you know, you think about the Larry goalkeepers kits that Ian Walker wore, and then you think about that hairstyle on top. It just completed the set, didn't it? Really. <laughs> <laughs> James, I got to ask you. Um, talking of bad shirts, you know, we mentioned there. I mean, I said about Ian Walker, you know, the rainbow kit for me. I think that's the one I, I least appreciated or least liked, if you want to say. What was the one you least liked, Jace, for you? I think that that pony era of shirts. There was a it was a yellow one. I think with blue sleeves with so much background kind of, you know, self printing within it. It was horrendous. But you mean the I, kit they wore at, at Hereford Edgar Street in the FA Cup? I one. think so. I think so. Yeah, it was horrendous. I but, got from that game. And I, I, I think that blue Umbro kit with the Spurs words across the the top. I wasn't a wasn't a fan of that. And and this green monstrosity we wear now. I I, I absolutely detest this green kit but i think they've they've all been trumped by the latest release of of the the new newest spurs shirt i've seen the harry kane <laughs> nfl shirt oh, that is now officially the worst ever spurs shirt we've done can we not produce an nfl shirt for harry yeah, but, kane please but, and at 90 geez, quid they, i think isn't it they, they did it though it's all, it's not a new thing is it when when hummel came along they produced um kits for nfl kits American football shirts, as they call them, for Spurs players back back in the day. You know, oh, I can't even remember that. Yeah, I, I know somebody's got a Steve Perryman one with his name on the back. You know, Perryman name on the back. But sure. It, um, but I, I think I think you might be in a little bit harsh on the pony kits, pal. They weren't <laughs> they weren't horrendously bad. They were just horrendous. You know, the cup final, <laughs> the cup final one against Leicester was okay. That 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 was pretty nice. But the rest of them, oh. Awful era. Of course, we've just had the the poppy shirt 
of course, that's been featured on the uh, the last couple of games we've played. So when did those ones start? And have we got any of the poppy shirts in the book? Yeah, we, we believe it or not, we up and we missed obviously the deadline for the current poppy shirt that we just been just been used. But um, we, the, prior to that, they was first introduced against Sunderland in two thousand and nine, and we've got all nine variations that were worn in the book one complete page and tells you what the, what the poppy stands for because it's it's losing its impact a little bit because mm-hmm. of the politics now that yep. people are surrounding it you know and I just think it's sad because there's a good intentions with it and obviously the poppy shirts make charities an awful lot of money when because some of the crazy crazy prices that you've seen some of the Spurs poppy shirts go for at auction you know when they've been auctioned off just absolute mad but but people save up all year. Collectors will save up all year just to get a poppy shirt, you know. So, got to ask you, Shaky. Also, we've got nine in there. So. Within the book, there's a story of the recent grey and black half shirts and how Gareth Bale, a certain Mr. Gareth Bale, was a bit of a diva wearing it. Is that right? Yeah, this is this is what we've been told. Yeah, um, if you notice on the long sleeve versions of that grey and, and black shirt or the silver and black half shirt. The long sleeve versions, the crest is lower down, and Gareth only gen- generally used to wear a long sleeve shirt most regularly, and and the reason it's lower down is so that it didn't rub on his chest. Let's just say a certain area on his chest. Um, so so the back of the crest didn't rub his pointy bits, and um, and uh, and the and the um, uh, the Under Armour logo was lifted up slightly on the other side, so it didn't damage the other one of those. And so it only appeared on the long sleeve shirts. And of course, a lot of the players noticed that. So there were a few of the other players started to wear the long sleeve version as well. Um, but we were told that it was Gareth requested that the crest be lowered. So that was what we were told. And yeah, so maybe it's Gareth being a bit of a diva. But if you're Gareth Bale, I suppose. He doesn't cause that much trouble, does he? So if it's about lowering the crest on a shirt, then let him do it, you know? Perhaps he's given Mrs. Bell the original grey and white shirt and the, the grey and silver shirt in the hope that it rubs a little bit of the, the sensitive areas, mate. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> let's, not, let's, not, let's not go there, guys. <laughs> now, now there's, there's a wonderful feature in the book called The Guardians of the Shirt, which features Johnny Wallace and Sylvie Webb and... And what roles did they play at the club? And just how guarded was Johnny of our shirt? You must have a, a great story about Johnny with his his uh, reputation for being thrift with the shirts, that's for sure. Well, I was, it's a common thing about kit men. Every club has a kit man, and they're always tight. They treat the kit like it's their own. They guard it, you know, like it's their own. Um, I must have been the most chilled out kit man in the world when I was doing it at Hereford. <laughs> <laughs> Come the end of the season, I'm supposed to collect the training kit back in, and there ain't any. Um, but with Johnny, he was notoriously tight. You know, he, he he would take it as a personal affront. You know, one of the players told me he would take it as a personal affront if he if you if you took something without asking, and and if you didn't bring it back, it was it was you know he'd have a he'd have a hit out on you. You know, and he he was famous for. He wouldn't even give you a slip or a pair of socks. You know, he was that tight. And, <laughs> <laughs> Martin Chivers always used to say when he first came to the club and one of his first games he's pulled on a shirt and of course Chiv had to have long shirts made for him eventually you know Umbro used to produce extra slightly extra long shirts for Martin Chivers and, and Mike England and people like that 
and even Pat Jennings goalkeeper shirts were extra long but when he first put one on of course it wasn't tailored for him to be extra long and of course the, the sleeves have come halfway up his forearms so he looks like he's in Miami Vice and of course it's hunched <laughs> up his shoulders and he's hunched over this is in the dressing room and he's gone Johnny what about this and, he, and Johnny Wallace has gone just get on with it he said I'm going to go out and play I can't go out and play like this and if it wasn't for Bill Nick walking in and going, Johnny, give him another shirt, will you? <laughs> Johnny would have made him going out look like the hunchback of Notre Dame with short, with Miami Vice sleeves, you know. Dear, um, dear. But he, 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 was, he, he used to, I think he had a thing with Chip because obviously the famous story that we tell in the book is about um, Martin Chivers said it to me after the two, after the seventy-two UEFA Cup final. I went to um, ask him for my after the goals against Wolves away. I went to ask him if I could have my shirt. He said. No, you'll need it for the second leg, son. All right, then, no problem. Second leg comes, draw the game, win it, win the trophy. And he, and he goes back in and he says, Johnny, any chance of my shirt now, Johnny? And he's gone, no, son. He said, the reserves will need it for next season. <laughs> <laughs> and Chiv's like, and he said his words to me, my Chiv's exact words to me were, just think how much that would be worth now. <laughs> and then Mickey hasn't said the same. He said, just think how much money's worth of kit oh, Johnny Wallace has cut up over the years. Because that's what he used to do. And I mean, just another quick story. 1981, we talk about it in the book. But after the first game, for those anoraks amongst us noticed, that the, the numbers on the backs of the shirt changed. Well, obviously, for the final, Lecoq's was he'd introduced this new style of number. But when they were laundered the next day, the, the laundry room went on shutdown when Keith Birkinshaw found out, when Sylvie reported back that the, these, shirt, these numbers, had they'd run, they'd cracked, they'd split, they discoloured, they looked awful. So she's obviously spoke to Keith Burton, Keith Burton's wrong with the Coxball teeth. They're down on the Monday morning sorting it out. So of course Johnny Wallace has seen the, the really badly damaged ones and just cut them up and put them in the bin. <laughs> so only three shirts from that game are known to have survived anywhere. Wow. And we happen to have Steve Perriman's the, the obviously the famous five story because he wore five in the first game and Ricky wore six, didn't he? That's right. Because it's in the programme. It's in the programme. Johnny Wallace has come over in the, dress, in the dressing room and said to Steve, you're in the programme as five today, and, and Ricky's down as six. He said, OK, we'll go with what's in the programme. So they turn up for the replay, of course, and, and before Johnny Wallace has come across the room, Steve's gone, I'm the captain, he's wearing five, I'm wearing six, what, what it says in the programme. So, and the rest is history, because obviously Ricky went on and scored two goals in the, um, in the replay and became... An absolute club legend, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. Shaggy, I've got to say to you, we've been roughly recording for about 56 minutes. It feels like it's gone like that in a blink. It's been incredible. Just on the book. Now, I've got to ask you, how much did you enjoy producing it? Because it, it seems incredible. Talking about you just for an hour with it, it's been brilliant. And how much focus did you actually give into what, at the time, was you know, difficult times? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, obviously, the, the book was delayed. It was due to come out last year. Um, and I had health issues that um, were really tough for time for me. But everybody knew the project was going in the right direction. But in, in some ways, the delay, it's just a bit like the stadium, the delay of the book will have worked out for the best because we are able to add some certain shirts that came in after the original deadline. You know, Paul Stewart's 1991 Cup Final, full kit. Um, um, Terry Naylor's 1974 UEFA Cup Final away shirt, the yellow one. Um, these extremely rare shirts, and certain other shirts were added, and and so it was. It was it, although it was a tough time for me personally. It actually gave me a focus to, when I could work on it. I worked on it, 
and the book was improved because of the delay, because we were able to pull in some unbelievably good shirts to add to the, and also it gave us extra time to do further research. So it was a, it, personally the satisfaction of doing the book it, it, and seeing what it's like now is is just incomprehensible. I can't describe to you how 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 much it makes me happy to see it. And but the whole thing about doing the when I interviewed, I interviewed over 25 players, spoke to, to, to like five or six different members of former or current members of staff. And the one thing I got about the feel about the club, right the way back from research in the early history, Tottenham is a, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is a, is a community hub. It's something that the community within Tottenham is proud of. You know, even down to where they used to get their kit distributed to them. You know, Elsie's down the high road. They had Ron Goodman Sports, who was in in in, in Southgate. You had um, Metzler Footballs, Minerva, Minerva Footballs was a Metzler family, and Kilburn Sports. They're all local, and even down to one of the sponsors in Bell Travel is a, a sponsor that a, a travel agent in Tottenham, just off the high road, and they sponsored the club's tour in in 2000, uh, 2005 when they went to Mauritius. You know, and they had in Bell Travel on this. It's just the way the club is entwined within its community. And I just found that fascinating for me. And I just thought it was just, it was something that that I, I really loved to to see. And, and and the feel for it and talking to the staff, it was just, it, for me, it, it kind of put Tottenham up there now as a, as a club that you I will always have a lot of love for, you know? Okay. As a Hereford United fan, that is. Yeah, Vision Sports Publishing, uh, as I said earlier, are the publishers. But how much how much involvement has, has Spurs official had with the book? Well, you see, they are Vision Sport are Spurs official publishers, um, and so they they've always been kept in the loop. They've always been kept in the loop all the way through the project. You know, things have to be signed off by the club, so you don't get to the end and something controversial said or something we can't say is in there, and they go, "Sorry, you can't put that in," and the book's already gone to print. So they've always been involved from day one. John Fennelly, Mike Rollo, um, and various other people involved in the commercial department and, and, and helping us out getting current player shirts to loan, to photograph, etc. So there's been a lot of people involved at the club. And they've been very, very supportive of the project. And, and, I, and I've got to make a special mention because of my tough time. Jim Jewett, the club's ed- uh, the book's editor, and, and Doug Cheeseman, who is the club's uh, the book's art designer, They've stood by this project and really helped me get through it because they knew how good it was going to be. And now everybody at the club has seen the book. The people that, that you know, they, there's one copy at the club and everyone that's seen it, as uh, I've been told, one member of staff quite high up at the club has described it as a work of art. And that's what makes me feel a million dollars. When you hear that said by people of the club, we've done a unique history at Tottenham Oxford Football Club that everyone can associate with, and then the, somebody at the club tells you it's a work of art, just makes makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? I think it's beyond that, Shaky. I have to say, I mean, for somebody that wasn't a Spurs fan to produce a book like that, I'd, I'd worry about about how the, the how the finished product would be. But I, I guarantee anyone that when you pick that book up, you will believe that the, the most staunch, ardent Spurs fan <laughs> has, has been behind that because you just could not get that much detail and love and, and, and attention from anyone that you wouldn't think was a Spurs fan. So 
I think I think Ricky's going to ask you to do if you can do it, mate. The, the history of the transfer window. I think that's his <laughs> his next book launch for you. <laughs> that might be unlimited, though. Because I'm not too sure how many pages we can limit that to. Be easy to do. <laughs> as, as, well, as I'm one of the authors, obviously there's three authors: Darren oh, Burney, associate director of the club, Tottenham fan; Neville Evans lives in Aberystwyth, memorabilia collector, huge Tottenham fan, and there's me, Hereford United fan. But like I said, Hereford wear white, so I get away with it just about. But just behind about. that team, there's been a lot of people. Tony Seeley, Liam Ridley. These guys, are, they've been amazing. At put, they're all Tottenham fans and are pulling it together. You know, Liam's the third biggest supplier of shirts that have been photographed for the book. For his amazing collection, his knowledge has been fantastic. Tony Seeley's knowledge of the Spurs kits, because there's a complete history of the club's kits from 1882, illustrated in the back four or five pages of the book. All in there, all the cup final kits, all little illustrations of the kits, all the way back to 1882, 83. And these guys have all contributed. So it was a massive team effort, right? And 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 I know that every single one of them who's seen the book so far is just unbelievably proud. So, you know, go out and buy it. 30 quid, 1st of December, get on the internet, click on the shop, click on the book. It's the best Christmas present you'll ever buy. And remember, folks, it is only available from Spurs official channels. So no good looking for it in Amazons or Waterstones or anything like that. Get get on the club website, get into those mega stores and absolutely buy it. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Now, for one very special listener who's going to be hopefully listening to the show, of course, we are given the opportunity to win a free copy of the book signed by Steve Perryman, the man himself, um, an incredible giveaway this is going to be, who, of course, wore our shirts, of course, on more than any other player in the Cubs' history. Now, we have got a question for the listeners, and Shaky's going to read out that question again for a chance to win a free copy of the book. Shaky, over to you. The question is, who were the first um, kit manufacturer to have their logo on an outfield Tottenham Hotspur jersey? Okay. And just one more time for our listeners again, just repeat that question from Shaky. Who were the first kit manufacturer to have their logo on a Tottenham Hotspur outfield player's jersey? Okay, so that's the question, guys, we want you to answer. And we want you to send your answers into that question on our personal email address of lastwordonspurs at outlook.com. Now, what you'll also notice is that if you're listening to the show on a Tuesday, there will be a special Twitter tweet going out. Twitter tweet? There you go. Twitter tweet going out at around 1pm UK time. And that will be where we're going to be asking you to retweet or follow both the last word on Spurs and the Spurs shirt with the chance to win a free copy of the book. So what you need to do, you need to retweet or follow that Twitter account. Make sure that you also send your answer to lastwordonspurs at outlook.com and we will announce the winner of the week commencing the 1st of December, the release of the book. So on the release date of the book, we'll hopefully get a copy out to you, hopefully that particular week. Shaky, just again, I've got to say, it's been such a pleasure having you. It's been a wonderful, wonderful hour. Is there anything you want to say before we look to wrap things up? Um, just thank you for adopting me as a Spurs <laughs> fan so I could do the book. And, and you're hoping Hereford in the third round of the Cup, mate? I know, but Hereford FC already out the FA Cup. Oh, they're already oh. out. Sorry about that, mate. He knew they that. He knew really that, Shaky. He was winding you up. I'm guessing. I'm telling you, he's winding you up. He knew that. I didn't. I, I promise you I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we've got but a don't forget there is a connection between Ricky George, who played for Spurs, and 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 he's the most terrified, most famous ever goal scorer in the FA Cup. He scored the winner against uh, against Newcastle in 1972, and he's a commonly ever since been introduced for the last 45 years of Ronnie Radford because everyone remembers Ronnie Radford scoring the goal, and it was Ricky that scored the winner. Ronnie's was just the equaliser. So there you go. So there's a connection with Spurs. Yeah. And again, just on the book, as we've said, an absolute must-buy for this Christmas. And again, we have to uh, you know, reiterate the point is shaky, that you're not going to find this book, like Jason said, in the Waterstones or on Amazon, on eBay, wherever. No, no, it is purely no Amazon, you know, a Spurs merchandise book. It's exclusively only available through Tottenham retail outlets. It's shops at various shops in Stevenage and Harlow, etc., and the club's megastore and online. So if you're around the world, you're in Australia, I've had people in America... Australia, etc., asking me if, the, if you know, will it be available there? Yes, it's available at Tottenham Hotspur, and they'll ship it to you from the club's um, online store. There you go. And that, guys, again, I'll repeat that. That's from the 1st of December this year. Wonderful Christmas present for fathers, even, let's say, you know, ladies, daughters. It's an incredible gift. Must go and get it. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Jason's obviously had the pleasure of seeing the sight of it. And, Jason, again, you say it was incredible when you, when you saw it. Uh, Absolutely fantastic book, um, and definitely the the only Christmas present that should be on anyone's list this year. So, and it, it was I've had a fantastic time talking to Shaky over the last few days and reminiscing about football in the in the in years gone by before Sky took it over and back to the seventies and like we said, talking about all those Admiral kits of all the other clubs. It's just been a fantastic personal few conversations I've had with Shaky as well. So, absolute privilege. Thank you ever so much once again for joining us. It's been such a pleasure having you for the show. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And, Jace, thank you very much as always. No problem, mate. And, and we're back on Love Sport, I think, tonight, aren't we? We are. We're back on tonight. So, choose if you listen to the show. We are back on this evening. So, look forward to that one. We'll be talking about Spurs. Bit of squad rotation. Bit of squad rotation. We've got Jamie from the Daily Hotspur joining us. We've got Lee McQueen back. Jace having a and week you've off. you've dropped me. I have dropped jo- me, Listen, I believe. It's squad rotation. I'm out of Jace? form. <laughs> 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 All We've right, got mate. Jason back for next week. Listen, enjoy the show. It's incredible. Go and get that book. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 